Welcome to Prioritizing Yourself, the podcast. I'm Jen Parker. I'm an empowerment and mindset life coach, NLP practitioner, and qualified social worker. This podcast is to educate, inspire big-hearted women about the importance of prioritizing your self-care to improve your body, mind, and soul. Each week, we will talk all things that affect and influence big-hearted women. This podcast is proudly sponsored by my Action Takers membership, from taking you from feeling overwhelmed and giving away your power to learning all the tools to feel more in control and more inspired. Have a beautiful day. Welcome to another episode of Prioritizing Yourself. I'm your host, Jen Parker, and I would like to welcome Dr. Lucy Burns, who is one half of Real Life Medicine. Welcome, Lucy. Thanks, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Um, before we embark and hear, a, you know, how you actually serve people and um, the type of doctor you are, etc., I would really love to know how you actually prioritised yourself today. Well, so I have what I call clinical and non-clinical days. So today is a non-clinical day where I don't usually see patients face-to-face. So I got up this morning, I have coffee, one of my favourite things, and then I went to Pilates. So I do a, um, I have a regular nine o'clock Pilates session with my physio. So I went there and then um, then I had to do some of the kind of more housey things like take the dog to the groomer. And now I'm here. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love how you've integrated that element of movement. It's yeah. like, it, it really just moving our bodies is so powerful, isn't it? Uh, totally. And it's one of those things that can be tricky for people. Like there's sometimes some resistance uh, from our minds. Uh, and I actually have, I have huge amounts of resistance to moving my body. One of my backstories, which you may not know, is um, I have quite a significant disability. So I have muscular dystrophy and it really, it's a generalized muscle weakness disorder and it really impairs my walking. And so my resistance to doing any exercise or movement was really how I thought everyone would see me because I have this really awkward walk like a now, I don't know what, what it's like, but it's awkward. And, and people are staring. And so for a long time, I just thought, oh, God, I'm not going anywhere where people can see me walking more than I have to. And then one day I just thought, you know what? It's, it's my body. I've got to look after it. And I've just got to move past that caring what other people think and just crack on and do what's good for me. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. a lot of the time when people are making judgments about others, they're really judging themselves. Oh, totally. And at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, of course, people are going to have a little look because I do walk differently to the rest of the world. But so what? You know, so what? They'll have a look. They're just looking. I mean, humans are curious creatures. We look at things. It's normal. So I just started normalizing it rather than in my head I was thinking oh my god they're looking they're gonna have all these things they're gonna be thinking oh my god what sort of gimp is she who cares what oh what's wrong with her all of those sorts of conversations when really they're just being curious humans and glancing over that at this person who walks differently to other people yeah yeah Hmm. and good reframe and good insight to be able to actually see that so um Lucy I'd, I'd love to hear more about you know you and um, your um, business partner, Dr. Mary, um, um, Dr. Mary, um, yes. as well, just to so so the listeners can have a bit of an understanding about your business and how you actually support people. Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, our business is called Real Life Medicine. It's it is that is kind of the core. We are real people. We live real life. We're not perfect influencers or any of those sorts of things and our passion absolute passion is helping um all people but particularly women um i guess who have had years and years of either yo-yo dieting or or have overweight or obesity as one of their problems that is now causing them some health concerns with pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes and really i guess unpacking some of the diet trauma that they've experienced and 
having been an expert dieter myself, I spent many, many years in the dieting industry as a personal thing, thinking that I needed to be thin to be better, whatever that meant. Um, and I guess just helping, it sounds sort of, it sounds uh, a bit over the top, but helping people heal from diet trauma, it is incredibly destructive for diet industry. And so initially when we talked about this idea of helping women lose weight, both Mary and I felt a little bit kind of, oh, it doesn't resonate with us. What resonates with us is helping them achieve really good health by unpacking all of those stories that have gone on and on and on about their worth as, as worth as a woman, worth, you know, their relationship to food. And really this idea that lots of women, lots of women know what they what what to do, but it's the actual doing of it that is the problem. Mm. Oh my gosh. I think a lot of listeners can relate to this because there's so much um toxic culture around um body image and you know almost when we talk about diet we're basically saying not to have a certain foods and then yep. the more we say we can't have certain foods oh my gosh I want that <laughs> yeah you know and I love how you you know, you have created a business of not just looking at the external, you're not looking at the external, you're actually getting to the mindset and mm. looking at the whole, looking at the person as a holistic being of why they actually feel this way. Because a lot of the time people do a lot of emotional eating because mm. you know, not feeling good enough, not worthy enough, or something that has um, occurred traumatically in their childhood or growing up. So they use it as a way of coping. And Absolutely. So it's, um, it is a very, very common form of self-soothing, but it's also one that we've been taught to do from very young. We've been modelled to do it. Our parents often do this. And then you just, industry marketing capitalises on it and then exploits it mm. and then then we feel bad or guilty that we're doing it and people you know Mary and I are constantly telling people that being overweight or having obesity is not your fault it is just not your fault it is a combination of certainly there are people that are predisposed to it with hormonal issues and we talk a little bit of well a little bit we talk a lot about physiology insulin in particular very, very big driver of fat storage. And there are people that have different levels of insulin. So we talk a lot about that. But at the end of the day, it is, it is really unpacking the stories in our head that keep, can keep us stuck. And learning to recognize what those, I, we call them the very reasonable stories our brain offers us as a reason why we can't keep moving forward. And even this morning, I had this phone call with a lady who has done one of our programs and she was actually just ringing up for something else, a uh, receipt or something. And I just happened to take the call and I said, oh, I said how are you going? And she goes, oh, not very well, really. And I thought, oh, what, what's happened? And she said, well, um, I don't like eating eggs for breakfast and we've got farm chickens, so we have a lot of eggs. And so I can't do it. And it was like, whoa. There's so much to unpack in that little story. Now, obviously, I didn't have time at the mo at the time because she was just thinking for something different. But you think about that story, it sounds reasonable. I, you know, I'm sick of eating eggs. I, I don't want to do this. And it's like, okay, the first thing, I, you know, if we'd had a bit of time would be, why do you think you have to eat eggs for breakfast? <laughs> you know, there's a whole choice of other foods. And why do you think your body doesn't want eggs anymore? And, you know, it's, again, it's diet culture. We've been told you do it, you're either doing it perfectly or you're not doing it at all. So mm. that all or nothing. Mm. And that, you know, it was always, again, it's language, breaking, you break your diet, you're cheating. It's such negative words and they, they ring in our ears. And then we talk to ourselves about how terrible we are because we've, we've um, you know, cheated or broken it or, we can't do it so yeah it's it's it and so look helping people just develop the awareness around these things that are, are keeping them stuck it's so 
I just love it because these light bulbs go off all the time where you can see somebody go, oh my God, I've never thought of it like that. I can't believe it. But we're just taught in diet culture to use willpower to white knuckle your way through everything. And it, that's, it's just not sustainable. Mm. You end up feeling you live in deprivation land and, and deprivation land is miserable. Yeah, no. Yes, I agree. I, um, I currently see a naturopath because yeah. I want to look holistically at my health and really get to mm. the, the root of what's happening hormonally and all of these things. And one of the things that I have taken out was dairy. And mm. I was like, oh, my gosh, chips. I love chips. Mm. And yeah. I love chocolate. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to. So I did lots of research and I still tr- work out, okay, what things can I have that, mm-hmm. you know, is, you know, I'm still getting that fix, so to speak. Um, and so obviously I'm still, you know, a, a working progress in regards yes. to my ha- what foods I am choosing to eat and really increasing the amount of um, vegetables and fruit and things like that. And but when I find that in different parts of my menstruation cycle, I crave, sometimes I actually crave salt mm. and really listening to that. And I, I crave um, chocolate. Maybe I need mm. to sort of look at, okay, you know, a bit more. But And then because I'm sort of so, now I'm so attuned to my body and those little signs of, okay, if I'm in this part of my cycle, I know that I need, um, my body is seeking more of these types of foods. So mm. would you say that something that you teach your, um, you know, the, the clients that you work with, Mary, is to become quite intuitive what your body is actually telling you? Yeah. So a couple of things. What, the first thing, certainly we love, we love, encouraging people to listen listen more to our body we don't listen at all we've grown up again in 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 times where you just eat breakfast lunch and dinner because it's time it's not about whether you're actually hungry or not uh you just eat and we often are eating without you know mindless eating where you just got your hand in the bowl of the chips and you you can kind of look oh my god i I didn't realize we're finished so we're completely disconnected from our, our mind and our body again it's tricky when people and, and I see, you know, a whole range of, of people, but certainly when people have significant obesity and significant insulin resistance, which is so incredibly common, like crazy common, more than 80% in, in some age ranges, more than probably 80% of people over 60 certainly have insulin resistance, but it's becoming younger and younger. Um, Insulin is like the master hormone and it then interferes with a lot of our other hormones that regulate our satiety and our hunger signaling. So hunger is a hormone called ghrelin that drives our hunger and satiety or fullness is governed by a hormone called leptin. And once you have insulin that is too high, then your leptin also becomes too high. So you can have difficulty regulating. So that's, but, but, but that's all fixable once you sort out the insulin. But the other thing to, be, to bear in mind is that processed food is very hard to regulate for many people and it's because they design it like that. They spend millions and millions of dollars on food engineers to design the food to make it hyperpalatable so that you actually, it overrides your intuition. So it's always hard for some people, and again, not everybody, but for many people to be able to regulate highly processed food, it's hard. Mm. It's not their fault. It's designed like that. But when you can't regulate it, the industry will tell you, oh, well, we can tell you to eat all of the tin tans, you know, and it's got some minor disclaimer in the bottom of the thing in some tiny letter saying, you know, eat as part of a balanced diet. It's, it's rubbish. It just, it is the thing that probably infuriates me the most that the processed food industry, I mean, think about Pringles. Their slogan is once you pop, you can't stop. They're right. They're absolutely right. And so we live in this world where we're trying to navigate between 
you know, using food as a tool to soothe because, again, it's everywhere, isn't it? I mean, everybody knows if you break up with your boyfriend, the deal is you go and eat ice cream. That's like standard. Why would anyone not do that? Because it's been marketed to us as millions of ways in movies everywhere. And so when we do then the thing that they're telling us to do, you know, drink Coke, have fun. Oh, okay, I'll do that. But then you suffer some of the consequences of that, like obesity. It's like, oh, my God, you're, what's wrong with you? You've got, you've got no self-control. You've got no willpower. You're just, you know, you're, you're terrible. And we, as a society, judge people for that, and it's wrong. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, you know, these big corporate industries making billions mm. and how they market that and and also it's it's subliminal so sometimes people oh. don't even realize what they have been exposed to and because um you might be googling something and then it will you know or you might be looking at different um foods or whatever and then they can retarget you in mm. your social media so sometimes we aren't intent we may be it's we're not intentionally going you know what I want to make a conscious decision to be obese we're not making a conscious decision to do that nobody no no we're making we have a positive intention of the behavior so we have Mm. the behavior that we want to feel better but seeking the types of foods such as Pringles or you know other sort of um, other brands that are incredibly delicious but you know it's hard to stop you know and I think you know I'm just thinking of the the chocolate biscuits you just mentioned they (laughs) I can't at the moment because I'm um, I've taken dairy out of um, my um you know what I'm doing more for um, my hormones and things but I found other things that are you know I'm I think it's also about being mindful and conscious Mm. about what you're eating do you teach your clients about you know because sometimes we're so we're busy being busy we're rushing we've got to quickly do things and I actually interviewed um, a slow life coach talking about basically how that all came about was about um, in Rome they wanted to have a McDonald's and they wanted to really be more present and slow with their food and I think that really is so you know everything we're talking about it's really being there's something powerful in being mindful about what we're doing and what we're choosing to eat and just in almost enjoying every bite because we're not used to being slow with eating are we oh god no you know it's annoying eating you've just got to again it's it's what we're marketed to think about it how many you know we we are convinced by marketing that we don't have time to cook and we're actually convinced we don't even have time to eat which is why they invented up and go which is probably the most toxic food product marketed to children uh it's 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 horrendous chemical goop but the marketing around it is oh good here's this thing you don't have to worry about preparing it and you don't even have to worry about setting aside time to eat it you can just slurp it as you're walking along Mm. there it is constant this constant barrage that we don't have time for food we don't have time to prepare it we don't have time to cook for it we know we don't have time to shop for it we don't have time to think about it and so, of course, we all believe that because you believe what is what is marketed to you. So people are constantly saying to me, yeah, Lucy, I just don't have time to cook. I go, okay, well, let's let's just think about Let's unpack that. And I go, you know that you can cook a meal in 20 minutes. And they go, oh, I don't think so. And I go, yeah, I'll show you. And um, and and then they go, oh, oh my God, I can't believe I, I, I did. You know, again, it's it's not their fault. <laughs> You're marketed to. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's really... Um, yeah, it, it is just becoming aware. I think awareness is is the key. You know, things like um, if you go to a petrol station, there's advertising everywhere, or even on the nozzle of the petrol pump. So you're not buying, you have no intention of buying anything in that little shop. 
but on the nozzle there's an ad and that puts it in there then it's it's piped through the music at the background some other jingly thing then there's another slogan and there'll always be some you know bargain involved buy two get you know 15 for free or whatever you walk in and then the man says to you would you like another would you like a you know Mars bar and you go oh yes but but you didn't <laughs> 10 minutes ago and now suddenly it's like right at the front of your mind and that is this whole concept of a predatory marketing that is going on everywhere everywhere all our kids you think you know milo aren't um sponsoring the cricket because of their you know noble worthy you know worthiness for the community you know that they, they they dress it up as community responsibility but i can tell you now it has nothing to do with that they are marketing to children through this very subtle always supporting kids sport maccas did the same um and it, it's it's rubbish there's there what you're saying is sort of they're targeting people when they are maybe most vulnerable where you possibly could be hungry mm. or your sugar levels are down so you know they always say don't go shopping when you're hungry and and it's so true because you're like oh or even a little bit hungry you mm. sometimes are like oh i need this and and it's just because you know you think oh i'll, I'll get all of these extra things cuz you know that that would be really good and then when you're you go shopping and you've you've just eaten you don't have that urgency to mm. get items that you normally may not even be in your you know conscious awareness level you may not even oh, be thinking about yeah. totally and that again it comes back to that's part of our physiology is understanding our ghrelin ghrelin is this hunger hormone is it starts to rise and particularly if you don't address it it starts to start thinking right well there's a bit of scarcity here come on get something and you so you got you start kind of looking and going oh well what else can I get you know humans are complex creatures and you know the physiology and the psychology of why we do things is is um it hasn't evolved fast enough to keep up with our modern life so you know we were evolved and and interestingly food as a reward was part of is part of our evolution so it's why all food makes us feel good like it actually it actually does that's part of the reason why we do emotional eating because it actually works short term you feel a little bit better a little bit of dopamine is released our feel good hormone we get dopamine released with every single bit of food it's just that compared to the hyperpalatable processed food industry, the amount of dopamine that you get from, you know, maybe eating um, a piece of steak or a bowl of broccoli is minuscule compared to the amount you get from the Pringles or the um, Coke or the Mars bars. So it's again just recognizing that we, these things are not bad. Again, you know, it, it's just that they are exploited by companies who really. And not they don't care about people they care about culture so if someone is you know they they know that they you know have maybe too many tim tams or they um they like to have um some soft drink or alcohol or whatever mm -hmm. and they want to start creating some change within their life but they don't, because sometimes it can be, it can feel almost like there's so much information. It can almost feel so overwhelming and you can feel like you almost feel overwhelmed. You shut down. Mm. What could be one small thing that people could start doing today that could start mm. creating some change within their lives and how they actually approach food? So I think, and you will know this as a coach, a lot of plans are action-based and the the thing is they'll say do this step you know just stop buying soft drink you know that seems easy however we buy the soft drink the action is always based on the feeling and the feeling comes from the thought so your thought might be soft drink's amazing i love the taste of it, it it's you know it, it's the highlight of my day that and your thoughts are sentences so you have the soft drink and you feel, ah, good, I'm satisfied. And so that's why you keep buying the soft drink. However, 
And and when people go, oh, I'm, I, I'm there, they might change their thought to, I don't want to buy, I'm not buying soft drink anymore because it's bad for me. But I still really love it, but it's bad for me. And that little, little sort of sentences start going around in their brain. So then their feeling is actually deprivation and they will white knuckle their way through ch a change. So, and again, our culture is very much good or bad. You know, your food has this sort of um, moralistic code. And, and that's, and I, the way I look at it is everything is either helpful or unhelpful. So for some people, they can have a packet of Tim Tams in their cupboard and they might have two with a cup of tea and then four days later, they'll have another one. And, you know, the packet's there for two weeks. That is not me. That doesn't, that's not how, that's not how my brain operates. My brain will operate like that with a bottle of wine. I might have a glass of wine. I'll put it back in the fridge and I forget about it. That doesn't operate for other people. Other people have the bottle. They keep going back. They keep going back. Everyone, it's like this different operating system. So really getting to know yourself is really helpful and thinking about your thoughts. So for me, it's always about is this product or is this food or is this drink, is it helpful to what I want to achieve in life? Now, again, everyone has different thresholds. So if you have insulin resistance or polycystic ovarian syndrome or type 2 diabetes, then carbohydrates whether they're starchy like your chips and potatoes and rice or sweet, they're not going to be helpful for you. So it is, it's, it's for me, it's, they're not bad because they're just food. They're just there. They're not doing anything. They're not killing anybody. They're not ripping off old ladies. They're just not helpful. And for me, things like Tim Tams are unhelpful because I can't stop them. So I know myself very well now. And I'll give you an example. Um, I was out at uh, this sort of businessy lunchy thing, and one of the girls brought this um, these biscuits, uh, this slice that she'd made, uh, some something that Annabelle Crab had made. Apparently, it's called crack because it's so addictive. And she goes to me, "Oh, I've brought this stuff. It's so amazing." And she was saying it's salty and it's sweet and it's got chocolate shavings on it. It's got butter and it's got brown sugar. It is amazing. Once you stop. Once you start, you can't stop. Now, in my previous life, I would have gone, oh, my God, I've got to have it. I've got to taste this thing. And now my new life goes, I don't actually want something that I already know in advance I won't be able to control in the future. Mm. So for me, it's, it's like saying to me, Lucy, have some heroin. It's going to make you feel amazing. Nobody would ever go, oh, okay. You just don't. So for me, I go, oh, actually, I mean, it's, I don't need that stuff. It, and so my thought is, I don't need it. It's unhelpful. I don't feel deprived at all. In fact, I feel quite relieved that I don't have to deal with it. So that thought of going, oh, good. My feeling being relief means I'm not acting on wanting to have it. I don't feel deprived. I'm quite relieved that it's no longer controlling me. It's quite some, I know you asked me a very simple question. I've given you a quite a complicated answer. But I think our relationship with food is complicated because it is different for every, every person. And I often talk about these sort of three, it's like there's three buckets of addiction level, if you like. And it can be used for alcohol or, you know, sugary processed food in particular, or even gambling. So the first bucket might be the person that, you know, buys a couple of raffle tickets, maybe buys a tax lotto ticket and bets on the Melbourne Cup. That's kind of their level of gambling. And that might be the person who also goes to a party and has a piece of cake and really never thinks about food ever again. Um, or the person who has a glass of wine, you know, once, once a month. And it doesn't, they don't think about it. You've got the next bucket where you've got people who are engaging in, in behaviours around these that are probably a little unhelpful for them but not dangerous so maybe it's you know the bloke who puts in 150 bucks each week to bet with his mates and he probably thinks oh I should stop that and save my money but you know it's not actually harming him he's not losing his house or anything or you've got the person that's eating the you know three Tim Tams every night on the couch and you know they haven't sort of developed any medical complications from it it's probably not that helpful but it's not that harmful and again the person that might drink two glasses of wine every night again not not helpful but probably not super harmful 
And then you've got that third bucket where it tips into becoming harm. So they're, they're gambling, you know, they're suddenly losing their house or their eating has, is causing them harmful effects. So they're developing, you know, complications related to type 2 diabetes or other sort of health complications. Or for alcohol, you know, they're, they're losing their job. They've got a speeding, they've got drink driving charges. And despite those adverse outcomes, they can't stop. Now, what the marketing companies do is they go, well, everyone should just be in bucket one. It's like, well, we didn't tell you to go into bucket three. We didn't tell you to bet so much money on, on Ladbrokes that you've lost your house. You should be like person one. And it's like, you know what, you assholes, you know that that's not actually how it works. Otherwise, you wouldn't spend billions of dollars marketing. So I guess for me, you can say I get a bit passionate about it, but I'm so, I, I really think that we just need to be so vigilant to the, um, to, to marketing messages because they stick in our brains. That's why they do them. And so then when we can't do the thing that we want to do, we think it's our fault. And our, our self-talk just becomes do better. That's all it is. Like we have no tools. We just beat ourselves up and the answer is just be stronger, get more willpower, do better. That, that's, how, that's all we've got. And actually denying that experience that we have, um, it's like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because we're not sort of looking at sort of the relationship of what's happening. And if I'm using myself as an example, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. So I made the conscious decision um, almost two years ago not to drink. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of the person that would have a glass or two but experienced really bad headaches quite bad headaches um and it got to the point where I was like this is really affecting me and I don't want to do that and instead of um I, I went into sort of different elements and I've done this with some of my clients as well is I went into well, what does drinking you know what does it bring me and so I wrote, you know, I did my journaling and really sort of went into and sort of it was, you know, I felt more confident. I felt like I could do all of these things, et cetera. So I really got that out. Instead of just denying it, I really went into, well, what do I, what does it bring me? So I looked at hmm. all of those elements of what it brings me. And then, you know, what, what I was witnessed, you know, how I saw alcohol, Hmm. you know how I saw these behaviors how I want to be a model and you know how my children want to you know see me as not having headaches and things like that and that I'm going to show up in my best optimum experience as a, a woman as a person and as a mother and I went through all of this and you know often we would especially I suppose drinking in Australia we have quite high rates of binge drinking I know mm -hmm. where this this could sort of go into sort of all of the you know the areas of also drinking is sort of one habit that many people experience and we almost um, normalize our drinking behavior mm -hmm. we almost in Australia you know I just have one you know and mm -hmm. If someone makes the conscious decision to either not drink or they don't like eating certain foods because it makes them feel a certain way, that's their choice and, and, and let them. And at first, you know, um, at that time, the, you know, I still was, you know, thinking, oh, I'd love a, I'd love a glass of red wine. Mm. The longer, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it for six months or indefinitely. Six months came and I was like, you know what? I'm feeling so good. Don't miss actually like feeling how I feel. And I actually knew that I had to do this for my higher self, that I had to do this for me and really do the deep inner work. And, yeah, it's coming up to two years and I go to events 
and situations mm. I'm getting, you know, and do I miss it? No. No. <laughs> I know why though, because yeah, because it's because you did that work on changing your thoughts. Mm. If you don't change your thoughts and you just go, I'm just gonna stop it, you don't do anything, you just go, I'm stopping it, then every single time you have this kind of you know conversation with yourself about will I won't I I said I wouldn't or maybe just this time you spend your life in deprivation mode and you've never really changed your thoughts around it yeah and changing once you change your thoughts around something and sometimes you need to keep revisiting it because you know like everything self-care and changing your thoughts that you know they often you often need to go back and revisit but once you're changing your thoughts around something, you're not using willpower. People have this idea that they're not strong enough or it's all about discipline. It's, that's, again, it's another myth. It's all about your thoughts and unpacking what, whatever it is, like you're in your case, alcohol, what it means to you and having some strategies ready because I'm sure you've probably got some encouragement from friends to keep drinking. Um, we have lots of situations, particularly with food for for our women where their friends go, ah, oh, you're not going to eat it. What are you, some sort of, you know, they, they're almost, they, they shame them mm. for, for making good choices. So, um, you know, we have lots of strategies on people we call food bullies, um, food shamers, and it's, it's all of that behaviour is not about the person who's eating well. It's all about the person who's making, doing the bullying or the shaming. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you're right in Australia, drinking culture is normalized. And in fact, it's becoming more and more prevalent, particularly amongst young women with small children where one o'clock is equivalent to five o'clock. And, and it's like, I deserve some alcohol to, to just get through the day. Absolutely. And I think a lot of, a lot of people that experienced high levels of the physical sensations of anxiety, the physical sensations mm. of overwhelm, or they have um, a clinical diagnosis of depression or anxiety, drinking can increase those feelings and increase mm. those thoughts. And, you know, often people have use alcohol as a coping mechanism or they use it as a mechanism to reward themselves. And then, like you said, <laughs> Lucy is mm -hmm. you know going back to the thought and I do that with my clients is really understanding you know how do I feel about this how do I how do I want to feel mm -hmm. what's the behavioral outcome when I choose to do this so really being able to you know sit back and go okay well for, you could use it for alcohol. You could use it for all of these things. And They're all really, the same. Absolutely. It's all the same because it's all yeah. a habit. Yeah. And when a... we become more conscious and really do that inner work, but it's also important to not to, I think people need to understand not to do things alone because sometimes mm. your bodies can be very complex and you're wondering why you may not be making progress because there's complex things happening with your body and you need to go and see someone like Lucy. <laughs> because, well, you know, yeah. one of the most interesting things that happens, and this is, um, I, I don't know if we've got time to chat about this, but certainly for, for weight management, probably the once people are sort of, you know, they're doing their food and they're going, yep, Lucy, I'm eating all the right things that are helpful for lowering my insulin, I'm not overeating, and then we talk about their stress and their stress, their stress levels are through the roof and stress impairs weight loss. Stress has so many physiological um, results. And again, it's an, it's an absolute um, example of how our you know, primitive body and DNA has not evolved as fast as our modern lifestyle has. So we still have these... Physio physiological so these physical responses that are all designed to keep us safe but are no longer that useful in our modern world yes actually that's a good segue into understanding I think a lot of the time people talk about stress and I think it can be just like the term anxiety mm. it can be a term that is loosely used so 
sometimes people don't identify. They say, oh, look, I'm not identifying being stressed, right? Mm. Uh, I remember someone asking me that and I said, I'm not stressed. (laughs) I'm just doing social work. That was when I was doing social work. And then like, and then it's like, hang on, that inner shadow child is really coming out to play. I am incredibly under a lot of pressure. So maybe giving people like the physical sensations of what happens to your body when you may be experiencing um, what we would identify as stress or um, in like or even the emotional and physical exhaustion just so people can go, oh, that's, yeah. that's me. Yeah. So first thing, I think you're right. We use the word stress and anxiety as an umbrella term when we've got often there's other emotions that are deeper at a deeper level to that. But we, we don't necessarily have the emotional literacy to be able to articulate them, um, you know, to that degree. But certainly, um, so we talk about, so stress is a, is a physiological process and what it is designed to do is to keep our body safe from threats. Now, in our more, and again, when I'm talking more primitive, I'm not talking back in, you know, like 20,000 years ago. I'm even talking, you know, in times that that were simpler, even a few hundred years ago, humans had much slower lives. And the threats that we had were related to, you know, physical threats like bears or, you know, war or something like that. And the response that comes along is um, our three main hormones, cortisol, adrenaline and noradrenaline. And they have very specific physical things that they do to our body. And it is all designed to help us run or fight. So that fright and flight. So the first thing that happens is our blood pressure will often go up so that we can move our blood around quickly around to our body. Our heart rate will go up again, moving the blood around quickly. So people may feel heart palpitations. People may feel chest tightness because your breathing goes up again to try and get more oxygen in to so that you you know you're running or, or fighting interestingly other things happen under the surface that you might not be aware of things like your platelets which are our one of our clotting processes your platelets become more sticky so that if you were to get scratched by the bear you don't bleed to death our blood glucose goes up again to provide fuel for our muscles so our liver very clever very clever liver makes glucose and this is where the weight thing comes in because suddenly you've got a liver that's making glucose and in a person that is insulin resistant then insulin comes out to play and puts it all back into the fat storage so you've got gut um, blood being diverted away from your gut which is why people get that funny um, either butterflies or just you know that gnawing in your tummy that you can get when you're really anxious some people's bowel will move faster, like to evacuate it out, which is, again, where that really intense anxiety can come. Other people actually get constipation from long-term anxiety because, again, blood flow is moved away from the gut up, out, to, out to our limbs. Now, if you are a person who is being attacked by a bear and you run, well, yay, hopefully you run fast, and you actually dispel all of those hormones and neurotransmitters and then what people do is they go they lie on the ground in sort of exhaustion so they'll first of all have this sort of you know what we call an adrenaline rush oh my god I can't believe I got away from the bear and they're all uh, and then then this overwhelming exhaustion comes in which is the next phase which is supposed you know the rest and digest so it completes that stress cycle so you have your stressor you have the response you then have the the rest phase to complete it but the problem in our modern world is that there aren't there's not many times where we are physically threatened for our lives most of our stress is related to things like deadlines picking kids up from school on time um, trying to manage time you know meal prep while someone's yelling at you while someone's trying to do the homework while the bloody thermomix is beeping and the washing machine's alarming and that's your overwhelm but our body doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know the difference between a bear and and that. So you have the same physiological response. So recognizing that your brain and your body are, they they are one, they are completely one. And that often what is going on by what's around us is felt in our body. 
So for a lot of people, they will feel um, muscle tension is another really significant thing that happens. And again, you can imagine because you're there trying to get ready to fight this bear. You're all tense and you're all ready. Well, yeah, that, that's unhelpful in modern life when we're just sitting there with our shoulders up around our ears and our jaw clenched. So it makes sense. The anxiety symptoms, the physical, sorry, the, the signs, the physical signs, it's just that they're no longer that helpful for the way we live our life. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And because people are experiencing like you said, Lucy, you know, a bear that we're under stress or under threat or when our boss says, hey, you've made a bit of a mistake here, would you mind, you know, making these, you know, Mm. um, uh, corrections or whatever it is. And And the boss might not be that nice either. That was a very nice boss. The boss might just go fix this. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. all sort of how we've interpreted it. And internally yeah. there's all this stuff happening. And I read about, you know, basically we, you know, we go through fight, fight, flight, or freeze. And yeah. a lot of animals, when they're under threat, after they've actually been exposed to, you know, a lion running after them, they shake it off. Mm. They shake the trauma off them and um now there's more you know research into you know somatic work and how the body actually holds stress as Mm. well which is you know obviously something you know a whole new topic of conversation but if people are under say someone's had a bit of a day that they identify as a little bit stressful would be something that you would suggest to change their state so they're not holding on to that stress in their bodies yeah so it's interesting because again this is the this sort of is ties back to the emotional eating because normally what people will do is go oh, i've had such a bad day and they'll have a glass of wine or they'll have pizza because that's their way to soothe however it doesn't actually fix anything so There's a couple of things that I think you can do. Certainly, if you do some deep breathing, that so the the fright and flight that we talked about is your is your sympathetic nervous system. So that is part of our body. It's autonomic. We have no control over it. You can't you can't just tell your heart to slow down. You can't suddenly decide. You know, I'd like my heart to be about fifty-seven beats a minute. You can't control how quickly your gut processes food consciously but we can control our breathing. It's our one thing that we have control over. So we can override our autonomic system. So by doing deep breathing, it sends a really powerful message back to your brain because this is a two-way street that actually everything's all right because nobody stands in front of a bear just doing a couple of deep breaths. That would be nuts. So when you do lovely deep breathing, and if you can do it right down in using your diaphragm, um, and there's various techniques. Some people do box breathing using 444. Some people do triangle breathing using breathing in um, for four, hold for three, and out for seven. Either, doesn't matter, whatever suits you. It just starts activating that second bit of that cycle, the rest and digest bit. Breathing activates that. The other thing that is also really powerful, again, because remembering all that's happening here when you're stressed is that you're brain thinks you're under threat your brain thinks there's something you know that's coming to get you so I love I do this holding my hand over my chest again it's a really mammal soothe by touch so you touch you know you're touching your chest and you're holding it you're almost consciously saying you're safe it's fine don't need to worry we're good here and I also talk to myself as like there's two of us like there's me and the person inside I'll often say, you know, it's all right, Lucy. It's okay. Yep, your day, your day was rubbish, but you're home now. You're safe. You're okay. And I consciously do this before I go into my house because I think the transitions between like work and home or the supermarket and home anywhere are a really good opportunity to be able to change your state, your physical and emotional state. Mm, yeah, absolutely beautifully said. Yeah, thank you for those suggestions and it sounds so simple, like, you know, just breathe. 
and it literally is, but sometimes it's the simple things that can be the hardest things to master, mm. you know, and if, yeah. if everyone just sort of focused on sort of these these um, suggestions and, you know, creating change of, you know, really being aware of our thoughts and our, you know, breathing and things like that, the results that people are going to have in their life is they're going to have more ownership and they're going to be have more awareness and you know, go, okay, this is why I do these certain behaviors. So thank yeah. you for, you know, providing all of that synopsis. I really appreciate everything that you've spoken about today, Lucy. Um, You're welcome. So people know a little bit about where to find uh, you. Um, mm-hmm. Could you just explain where's the best place to find um, your business? So we're on all the usual socials at Real Life Medicine um, and we have a website which is RL Medicine. Somebody else got the real life. So we're rlmedicine.com. No way you. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. And what I'll do is I'll also have on the show notes links to your website. So if people oh, thank you. are, you know, going, you know, this is so me, I need to actually get, you know, all of this sorted then they can get in touch with you as well. So we'll put all of those links on the show notes and also all of the social media posts as well. So wonderful. Thank you. Just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I've absolutely enjoyed speaking to you about, you know, our bodies and really just understanding how marketing can play unconsciously such a big role in what we're choosing to eat And, you know, it's just once we start becoming aware, we'll notice all of those things. It will become more of a conscious, you know, awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Waking up. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And sometimes you don't realize, but, you know, that point where you were talking about being at the petrol station, they're always like, oh, do you want, you know, do you want a chocolate? And it's like, no, thank you. Do you want this? And it's like, no, thank you. So it's almost like you're getting, um, it's like when you go to, you know, McDonald's and do you want large with that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The upsell, it's all, it's all, yeah. there's all, and, and it, it's not, nothing happens without intention from mm. big food companies. Yeah, yeah. So it's just creating awareness. So thank yeah. you, um, everyone, You're for welcome. listening today. And yes, we'll have all of the show notes and you can find more about me at www.com realvisionlifecoaching.com.au. Thank you again. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Prioritizing Yourself. Please subscribe to my podcast so you can hear the latest episodes. And if you would like to learn more about me, visit my website, www.realvisionlifecoaching.com.au. Bye for now.